Well, good morning. It's good to have you here. If you have your Bible, so I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 15, perhaps the most popular chapter in all of the Gospel of Luke. My wife and I were away on Thursday night and Friday uh, down to Lancaster with some stuff related to the school there. And when we got back, there was a note um, on our wall as we entered the kitchen from my daughter, Mary, who's away on a retreat this weekend. And it said, Dear Mom and Dad, spent two hours and cleaned the whole house. Love, Mary. Whoa. Woe is a good word. It was unexpected. Yeah, what do you want? What do you want? And, and there was nothing attached to it, Tim. There was nothing, at least yet. <laughs> and you know, some of those kind of Pleasant, unexpected things are kind of nice. One of the things I find as I read through the Gospels is I'm always finding the unexpected. I'm reading something, well, I think this is going to then happen, and it doesn't quite happen that way. At the end of Luke chapter 14, Jesus has given a hard message. Message that said life is all about him. And it's all about becoming a forgiven follower of him and, and what, what it will end up costing and how he'll change your life. Hard words. And you know how he ends the sermon? The end of chapter 14, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the unexpected happens. Because I'm thinking like, who has ears to hear? Who are the people that are going to be responsive to a message like that? Look what chapter 15, verse 1 says. It's unexpected. It's not what you're looking for or what you'd expect. Now, all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near to hear him. Do you see that? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who comes to hear? Sinners. Tax collectors. And it was so unexpected that the religious leaders were taken back by it. I mean, tax collectors? Not only are they working, money is, is getting going through them ultimately to the Romans. They're ripping off their people in the process. Tax collectors? Hello? Sinners? Well, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, sinners include a lot of different people. It includes things like prostitutes. All kinds of individuals that you say, they're on the fringe. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And they come forth to hear. Yeah. Because that's the kind of business that God is into, isn't he? But it really bugged the religious leaders. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. Hey, they knew their Old Testament. Doesn't it say somewhere in Deuteronomy, birds of a feather flock together? Or something like that? <laughs> and so they see Jesus with these kinds of people, and they say, they will make you unclean. You shouldn't associate with those. What they don't realize is they were the people closer to the kingdom than them. Here's the problem with religious people so often. 
It's a problem with the Pharisees. Perhaps you struggle with it. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were into contracts and comparisons. Contracts with God, I will do, 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 so that you will accept me. And comparisons, I'm better than him, her, him, 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 her, her, her. And that's how they lived the religious life. Contracts with God, comparisons with others. So if Jesus is hanging out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and all those kinds of people, it turns their world upside down because that's not how religion works for them. So they're grumbling. And what I love about Jesus, Jesus could have done a lot of things at this point, folks, right? Jesus could have stood up and said, God loves sinners and so do I, and so I'm here to evangelize. He could have done all kinds of, a real direct approach. But Jesus normally doesn't do it. Well, he does. It depends. Here, he doesn't use a direct approach. He uses an indirect approach. He gets up and he says, I have three stories I want to tell you. When Jesus uses that kind of approach, you better look out. Because there's always a sting in the tail. Okay, just, just why. And that's exactly, and here's what I want you to notice. We're going to spend, obviously, the bulk of the time on the third one. But I want to move you through because there's a cadence that you get into as you read through Luke 15. And it's very, very important when, to, that you have the cadence when you come to the last story. So let me work through the first stories rather quickly just to kind of give you a sense of what's going on here. So they're saying, why would you hang out with them? And Jesus says, could I tell you a couple stories? Uh-oh. Here we go. And he told them this parable saying, verse 4, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Ah, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Something is lost. Something is found. And there is joy. And Jesus says, here's my application. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now Jesus is doing some irony, some sarcasm here. Is there anybody who doesn't need repentance? No, but there's a whole lot of people who think they don't need repentance. And God's great joy comes to those who say, I am lost. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I can do nothing myself. God says, all of heaven rejoices when that happens. Unless you think you're okay. Then there's really no hope. But, do you see? Lost, found, joy. Jesus gives another story. I, I, incidentally, I, I've never lost a sheep. I did lose a dog one time. And when I found that dog, it had actually been hit by a car, but it was still alive, in a ditch, I was one happy camper because I had found my dog. Second story, what woman, if she has 10 silver coins 
So it would have been the dowry probably she received upon marriage. If she has, she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Ladies, you know what that's like, right? Where is that thing? Something is lost. Verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. My problem is more like a cell phone. Do you ever lose your cell phone? <laughs> Tim, did you ever? Never. Do, do, they, do they know that? He, he needs to share with you his story of, his, of losing his wife's cell phone. I, that's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Okay. I'm, I'm holding off on that one. Or maybe Ruth should share it. But anyway. We've all lost our cell phone, haven't we? And of course, I always have mine on buzzer. So when I try to call it, I can never find the crazy thing. And I normally ask my wife, honey, could you please find my cell phone? When I lose my wallet or my cell phone, I always ask my wife. And you say, Does, that doesn't make any sense. I know, but she normally finds it, so that's why I do it, I suppose. But, but you know what it's like when you can't find that cell phone or wallet, and you finally find it, you say, like, yes, got the thing. You know what that's like, right? In the same way, look at verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do, do you see the cadence? Lost, found, joy. Lost, found, joy. Now, Jesus is going to slow down. He's going to give us a third story. And in this third story, he's going, to, he's going to spend a lot more time with this third story and slow down and kind of give us some more details. But this, what are you looking for in this third story? Lost, found, joy. Well, let's see what happens. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Folks, that is a tragedy. When do you give inheritance to your children? When you die. The, great, the first great shocker of this story is a boy comes to his father and says, you're worth more to me, more dead than you are alive. And I want what's coming to me. In the ancient world, you didn't tend to put all your money into banks. You tended to put it into livestock and property. And the second great shocker about this story is that the father gives it to him. I don't know about you. One of my kids came to me and said, hey, Dad, give me what com is coming to me. I'd say, well, that's not too much. Because <laughs> I'm still alive. Yeah, I mean, it's like, hello. Maybe something at Chick-fil-A. That's about it. Right? Or, you, you know, when we, but what's interesting is this father would have had to sell property and sell livestock. And because there's two boys and often two-thirds of it would go to the older son, a third of what he owes, or what he owned, would have been sold off. And the shocker is, he actually gives it to this boy. Now, that, that's not a model of how you should treat your children. If your children come to you and say, hey, Dad, I want a lot of money. Okay. So, no, it's teaching us a spiritual truth, isn't it? Because in God's world, if you're not home because you want to be, you're not really home. So he gives the boy 
what he wants. It's a shocker. But how many people have taken the gifts of God, of health and abilities and opportunities, and spent them as if there is no God? You see, that, that's how our world works, folks. And this boy, who has deeply hurt his father, walks out and at this point figures he will never look back. Look at what it says. Verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. I mean, he was living high off the hog, wasn't he? He had women. <laughs> he could have a drunken party with as many friends as he wanted. So all kinds of money to go around. Everybody liked him. Everybody wanted to be with him. And the last person he thought about was his father. Because man, he was doing his own thing. Enjoying life. But those kinds of things eventually will come to an end. So verse 14. Now, when, when he had spent everything, isn't that a shame? All the father had worked for to build up those things he gave to the boy and now it's all gone. A severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. And because he had so many great friends, everybody took him in and provided for him for many years to come. Did your text say that? No. Were they friends? No. They were friends only as long as he was giving stuff to them. And now, in the midst of a famine, everything is gone. And look what happens. He's Jewish. What do you know about Jews and pigs? Not the best combination. Verse 15. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he was longing to, to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving him anything. You know, in the midst of a famine, pigs are worth more than people. So here's this guy who's working with pigs, a Jewish no-no, but pigs take priority over him. And finally, for the first time in a long time, he begins to think about home. You know, it takes people sometimes that long before they'll think about home. And they've got to go down down, down. And finally, how many of these sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors would be hearing this story and be saying, that's me. Down, down, down. Notice what happens in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, 
how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. See, in the ancient world, you would have slaves that lived with you all the time and worked for you, and you would have hired servants that you would hire in for a day or a week at a time. That's how it worked. And this boy is at the end of himself, and he's thinking back to his father. And when he thinks back to his father, all he thinks about is kindness. He says, those people he hires in just for a day or a week at a time, he always gives them what they need. He'll never take me back at his, as his son. But maybe, maybe I can just be a hired servant. Actually, it seems pretty reasonable to me. So, so he comes up with a script. Listen to his script. Here it is. Verse 18. I will get up and I will go to my father and this is what I will say. Here's his script. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. There it is. So the whole time he's going back, he's going over his script. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Father, he's just going over it again and again and again. He's just thinking, I just pray when he sees me, he doesn't say, get out of here. But, but man, if I can just squeak in. What happens? Remember, this story is filled with so much unexpected. The boy would ask for that. The father gave him that. Here's the great shocker. He got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How could that be? How could you see somebody a long way off? Unless you're looking for them. His father saw him. Felt anger. Uh -uh. Felt compassion for him. Ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, in the ancient world, if you're a nobleman, I mean, we wear, men, we wear pants. In the ancient world, what did you wear? That's right. And if you're a nobleman, a wealthier guy, you know, you just kind of strut around because you don't pull up to run. That, that, you know, that, that's what other people do. Did this father care about protocol? When he saw that boy a long way off, there was something about his steps, and he said, my son. Well, you know, noblemen don't run. Forget that, baby. He pulls them up, and man, he runs to that boy. I wonder, do you wonder what the boy must have been thinking? Like, dad is running at me. <laughs> you know, what's this all mean? And man, I better have this script ready to go, right? And, and, and just comes up and grabs him. But, but the kid tries to keep his composure, and look at verse 21. He's try, starting his script. And the son says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's as far as he gets in the script. That's it. Father's really not listening. The 
father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe. Put it on him. It's a place of honor. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He's no slave. He's my son. You bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and was, has come to life again. He was lost. He's been found. And they began to be merry. And the chapter ends, right? Because it should. Lost. Found. Joy. Well, not everyone. You should ask yourself when you read the scriptures, when you read stories like that, why didn't he stop it there? And if he didn't, perhaps what comes on there at the end is like really, really important. So notice verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. Hey, what's going on? Like, what, what, what's up with the partying up there? Nobody told me yet. And the servant said to him, verse 27, well, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the older brother rejoiced, ran to the house, and said, let me run this party. Not exactly. Not at all. Verse 28. But he became angry. And was not willing to go in. What could the father have done at that point? You know what some fathers would have done? Fine. Stew in your anger, pal. Could have. Right? I mean, this is a good thing that I'm doing right now. And you know what? Then fine. Have it yourself. Could have done that. But this father is an incredible father. How many sheep were lost? Do you remember? One in a hundred. How many coins? One in ten. How many sons were lost? I would argue that one was lost far away and one was lost at home. And this father who is gracious to the one who is lost far away is also gracious to the one that's at home. Because he could have said, you will not dishonor me. You should be actually hosting this. You're the older. He could have done all that stuff. But look at what this father does. It's unbelievable to me. I read this and it's, it's like, what in the world? I keep getting all these unexpected responses all the way through. His father came out and began entreating him. Son, can you hear the words? But the son answered and said to his father, look. Didn't say father. Look. For so many years, I've been serving you. You know, it is all about contracts, isn't it? 
And I have never neglected a command of yours. And it's also about comparisons because, and yet you have never given me even a goat that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't he call him his brother, does he? No. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Look, you're unjust. We've got a contract, and I'm better than him. And it ticks me off. That's what he's saying. And then the father says, fine, tough. Is that what he does? No, no. He goes on to explain and says this. Um, verse 31. And he said to him, my child, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. You're in this privileged position, potentially. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. The older brother is just like the Pharisees, isn't he? The older brother is into contracts and the comparisons. The Pharisees were into contracts and the comparisons. The older brother thought he was better. The older brother thought this. And, 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 and the sad part about the older brother, although he was home, he really wasn't home. Because he never shared the heart of God. Do you ever wonder how the story ended? I mean, I'm reading this thing and I'm saying like, okay, and then what? Aren't you? Okay. All right. So the father entreats and begs and explains and is patient and is kind because he wants to woo the older brother just like he accepted the younger. So I'm wondering, like, how does this story end? Does the son say, wow. Man, dad, I... I'm not like you at all, am I? I don't have a clue how you think. I need help. I, I mean, I... Will you forgive me and can I join in on this too? Hey, you could have done that, right? May, right? He also could have stayed in a puff, huff and puff and stand over here like this and said, I'm not coming. Could have picked up a stone and thrown it at his father. I don't know. I know this, the religious leaders never figured it out with Jesus, did they? It's for that reason they put him on a cross. This passage tells us that when anybody repents, anybody, and everybody needs to repent. God embraces them with open arms. I don't know your history. God never minimizes your sin. God never looks at your sin and says, no big deal. It's a huge deal. It put his son on the cross. But he maximizes the grace of God. He says, if you will just see that you can do nothing and that you're lost and it's me and me alone, Jesus says. That can change you.
I will run to you and I will embrace you. And all of heaven will rejoice. And we will party in a way you can't imagine. If you're a religious leader, if you're a religious person here today and your life is all about, but I'm better than him and better than that, you don't understand the heart of God either. And the God who embraces the worst will embrace you if you realize you need him. Because we're all sinners. And he calls people who say they know him to share his heart for all who are lost. You say, Doug, I'm a Christian. Trusted Christ. I'm not like those Pharisees. Well, sometimes we are a little bit. But I wonder, are we so overwhelmed with God's love that we've experienced? That we want to be his mouthpiece and the one through whom he works to extend that mercy to all. The worst, whatever that means, we're all the worst. And the self-righteous. Because they all need Christ. And God's heart is a heart that reaches out to all. And when he, he who has ears to hear listens and responds, whoever they are, life will never be the same. Isn't that wonderful? Hey, that's what we're into. That's what we do. Let's pray.